Act Three of The Princess of Ellis by Moliere, translated by Henri van Loon, eighteen twenty to eighteen ninety six. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Third interlude, Scene One, Moron, Phyllis. Phyllis, stay here. No, let me follow the rest. Oh, cruel creature. If Tercis had asked you, you would have stayed fast enough. Oh, that may be. I own I love much better to be with him than with you, for he amuses me with his voice, and you deafen me with your cackle. When you sing as well as he does, I promise to listen to you. Oh, stay a little. I cannot. Pray do. No, I tell you. Moron, holding Phyllis. I will not let you go. <sighs> what a bother. I only ask to be one instant with you. Well, I shall stay, provided you promise me one thing. What? Not to speak at all. Oh, Phyllis. If you do, I shall not stay. Will you? Let me go. Well, stay. I shall not say a word. Take care you do not, for at the first word I shall run. Be it so. Making some gestures. Ah, oh, Phyllis. Ah. Oh. Scene two. Moron alone. Ah, she runs away, and I cannot overtake her. That is the mischief. If I could but sing, I might do my business better. Most women nowadays are caught by the ear. That is the reason why everyone learns music. No one succeeds with them but with little songs and little verses that are warbled to them. I must learn to sing that I may act like others. Oh, here is the very man. Scene three. A satyr, moron. Satyr sings. La, la, la. Ah, friend satyr, you know what you promised me ever so long ago? Pray teach me to sing. I will, but first listen to a song I have just made. Moron, aside and in a whisper. He is so used to sing that he cannot speak otherwise. Come, sing. I am listening to you. I was carrying. A song, do you say? I was. A song to be sung? I was. A lover's song? Hang it. I was carrying in a cage two sparrows I had caught. When young Chloris in a dark grove showed to my astonished eyes her blooming and lovely countenance when i beheld her gaze so skilled in conquering i said to the sparrows alas console yourselves poor little animals he who caught you is much more caught than you are. Moron was not satisfied with this song, though he thought it very pretty. 
he asked for one with more passion in it, and, begging the satyr to sing him, the one he had heard him sing some days before, the satyr thus continued. In your song so sweet, sing to my fair one. O birds, sing all my mortal pain. But if the cruel maid gets angry when she hears the true story of the pangs I endure for her sake, then birds be silent. This second song, having moved Moron very much, he desires the satyr to teach him to sing it. Ah, this is fine. Teach it me. La, 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 la. La, 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 la. Fa, 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 fa. Fa yourself. The satyr gets angry and by degrees places himself in an attitude as if he was coming to fisticuffs. The violins begin to play and several satyrs dance an agreeable entree. Act Three, Argument. In the meantime, the Princess of Ellis was very uneasy. The Prince of Ithaca had gained the prize at the races. Afterwards, the Princess had sung and danced in an admirable manner, and yet it did not seem that these gifts of nature and art had been even observed by the Prince of Ithaca. She complains of it to the Princess, her relative. She also speaks of it to Moron, who calls that unfeeling Prince a brute. At last, seeing him herself, she cannot refrain from making some serious allusions to it. He candidly answers that he loves nothing except his liberty and the pleasures of solitude and the chase in which he delights. Scene 1. The Princess, Aglanta, Cynthia, Phyllis. It is true, madam, that this young prince showed uncommon skill, and that his bearing was surprising. He is the conqueror in this race, but I doubt much if he leaves with the same spirit with which he came, for you aimed such blows at him that it was difficult to defend himself, and without mentioning anything else, your graceful dancing and the sweetness of your voice had charms to-day to touch the most insensible. There he comes, conversing with Moron. We shall know what he is talking of. Let us not interrupt them, but turn this way, to meet them again by and by. Scene 2. Euryalus, Arbates, Moron. Amoron, I confess I was enchanted. Never have so many charms together met my eyes and ears. She is in truth adorable at all times, but she was at that moment more so than ever. New charms enhanced her beauty. Never was her face adorned with more lively colors, nor were her eyes armed with swifter or more piercing shafts. The sweetness of her voice showed itself in the perfectly charming air which she deigned to sing, and the marvelous tones she uttered went to the very depth of my soul, and held all my senses so enraptured that they could not recover. She then showed an agility altogether divine. Her lovely feet upon the enamel of the soft turf traced such delightful steps as put me quite beside myself and bound me by irresistible bonds to the easy and accurate motion with which her whole body followed those harmonious strains. 
In short, never did soul feel stronger emotions than mine. More than twenty times have I thought to give up my resolution, cast myself at her feet, and declare to her frankly the ardor which I felt for her. Take my advice, Lord, and be careful how you do that. You have discovered the best method in the world, and I am greatly deceived if it does not succeed. Women are animals of a whimsical nature. We spoil them by our tenderness, and I verily believe we should see them run after us, were it not for the respect and submission whereby men allure them. My lord, here comes the princess, a little in advance of her retinue. At least continue as you have begun. I shall go and see what she will say to me. In the meantime, walk you in these alleys without showing any desire to join her, and if you do accost her, stay as little with her as you can. Scene 3. The Princess, Moron You are intimate, Moron, with the Prince of Ithaca? Ah, madam, we have known one another a long time. What is the reason that he did not walk so far as this, but turned the other way when he saw me? He is a whimsical fellow, and only loves to converse with his own thoughts. Were you present just now when he paid me that compliment? Yes, madam, I was, and thought it rather impertinent, under favour of his princeship. For my part, I confess, Moron, this avoidance of me offends me. I have a great desire to make him fall in love with me, that I may bring down his pride a little. Upon my word, madam, you would not do ill. He deserves it. But to tell you the truth, I have grave doubts of your success. How so? How? Why, he is the proudest little rogue you ever saw. He thinks no one in the world is like him, and that the earth is not worthy to bear him. But has he not yet spoken of me? He? No. Did he say nothing to you of my singing and dancing? Not the least word. This contempt is shocking. I cannot bear this strange haughtiness which esteems nothing. He neither esteems nor loves anyone but himself. There is nothing I would not do to humble him as he deserves. We have no marble in our mountains harder or more insensible than he. There he comes. Do you see how he passes without noticing you? Pray, Moron, go and tell him I am here, and oblige him to come and speak to me. Scene 4. The Princess, Euryalus, Arbates, Moron. Moron, going up to Euryalus and whispering to him, My lord, I tell you, everything is going on well. The princess wishes you to come and speak to her, but take care to continue to play your part. For fear of forgetting it, do not stay long with her. You are very solitary, my lord, and it is an extraordinary disposition of yours to renounce our sex in this manner and to avoid at your age that gallantry upon which your equals pride themselves. This disposition, madam, is not so extraordinary, but that we may find examples of it at no great distance. 
You cannot condemn the resolution I have taken of never loving anything without also condemning your own sentiments. There is a great difference. That which becomes well our sex does not well become yours. It is noble for a woman to be insensible and to keep her heart free from the flames of love. But what is a virtue in her is a crime in a man, and as beauty is the portion of our sex, you cannot refrain from loving us without depriving us of the homage which is our due, and committing an offence which we ought all to resent. I do not see, madam, that those who will not love should take any interest in offences of this kind. That is no reason, my lord, for although we will not love, yet we are always glad to be loved. For my part, I am not of that mood, and as I design to love none, I should be sorry to be beloved. Why so? Because we are under an obligation to those who love us, and I should be sorry to be ungrateful. So that to avoid ingratitude you would love the one who loved you? I, madam? Not at all. I say I should be sorry to be ungrateful but I would sooner be so than be amorous. Perhaps such a person might love you that your heart... No, madam. Nothing is capable of touching my heart. Liberty is the sole mistress whom I adore. And though heaven should employ its utmost care to form a perfect beauty, in whom should be combined the most marvelous gifts both of body and mind, in short, though it should expose to my view a miracle of wit, cleverness, and beauty, and that person should love me with all the tenderness imaginable, I confess frankly to you, I should not love her. Princess, aside. Was ever anything seen like this? Moron to the princess. Plague take the little brute. I have a great mind to give him a slap in the face. Princess, aside. This pride confounds me. I am so vexed that I am beside myself. Moron, in a whisper to the prince. Courage, my lord. Everything goes as well as can be. Euryalus to Moron. Ah, Moron, I am exhausted. I have made strange efforts. Princess to Euryalus. You must be very unfeeling indeed to talk as you do. Heaven has not made me of another disposition. But, madam, I interrupt your walk, and my respect ought to inform me that you love solitude. Scene 5. The Princess Moron He is not inferior to you, madam, in hardness of heart. I would willingly give all I possess in the world to triumph over him. I believe you. Could you not serve me, Moron, in such a design? You know well, madam, that I am wholly at your service. Speak of me to him in your conversation. Cunningly praise my charms and my lofty birth. Try to shake his resolution by encouraging him to hope. I give you leave to say all you think fit, to try to make him in love with me. Leave it to me. It is a thing I have set my heart on. I ardently wish he may love me. It is true the little rascal is well made. He has a good appearance, a good countenance, and I believe would suit very well a certain young princess. You may expect anything from me, if you can but find means to inflame his heart for me. 
Nothing is impossible. But, madam, if he should come to love you, pray, what would you do? Oh, then I would take delight in fully triumphing over his vanity. I would punish his disdain by my coldness, and practice on him all the cruelties I could imagine. Well, he will never yield. Ah, Moron, we must make him yield. No, he will not. I know him. My labor will be in vain. We must, however, try everything, and prove if his soul be entirely insensible. Come, I will speak to him, and follow an idea which has just come into my head. End of Act 3